So first of all, Lee, thank you for letting me interview you. Because basically, unless people said yes, I wouldn't have been anywhere near this part of the journey. Thank you for finding me and inviting me. No worries at all. Why do you want to do this interview? Um, I am always in the process of learning who I am. Mm -hmm. I always feel comfortable in my own skin yep. with people, with situations. But uh, I very rarely reflect on myself. I very rarely spend time actually thinking about how I think or decisions I've made or accomplishments. I very rarely actually stop and reflect. I tend to just continue to move forward okay. into the unknown. So for me, part of it is just uh, an opportunity to um, uh, respond to, questions, to certain questions in ways that I, I, I don't normally sort of think about. Okay. So that's, that's, that's oh, part of it. First of all, you're going to love it yeah. because it's very reflective. Yeah. And um, I used to teach reflective practice at a university for 10 years. So this is, a lot of people have said, um, I've never even stopped to ask myself these questions. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. Second one is, I am the founder of a school. Mm -hmm. And the school is called Think. Yes. The Global School of Creative Leadership. And we are, are purposely, intentionally non-diploma uh, granting, mm -hmm. non-degree granting institute that um, is uh, developing the uh, mind, body, and soul of a leader who will have a significant impact on the future. Mm -hmm. So we find very high potential people from all over the world. We invite them to our program. Bye. And then we give them lifelong learning tools that will mm -hmm. allow them to orchestrate teams to come up with breakthrough thinking on a continuous basis okay. by understanding themselves, yes. by understanding uh, the world around them, and by understanding the team that they have to, to work with and how to activate them, how to get them into that state of flow, and how to come up with some of the biggest ideas. So we have a school like that, which, which very much kind of intersects with your own story in many ways, your life story, this interview. Okay. Another reason why I um, uh, feel that there's a certain amount of um, simpatico between, yes. between what you're doing and what we're doing. Okay, thank yeah. you. How would you define a maverick? I think there's two possibilities. So there's, there's, there's people who, who know rules, who understand the playing field, and who purposely go out and uh, uh, either ignore them or try to break them. Um, they feel that those rules, those boundaries, those frameworks are limiting, mm -hmm. and they uh, get a certain sense of energy and a certain sense of um, uh, self awareness or self-actualization by actually breaking those boundaries. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's one. The second group are people who actually don't even know that there are boundaries. They're unaware mm -hmm. of boundaries. I saw this, uh, so I was in Amsterdam, I live in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. and I passed this store, uh, and it's the, it's the uh, nephew of Rem Koolhouse. Rem Koolhouse is probably the most accomplished architect living today. He's a okay. Dutch guy. His, his nephew launched a shoe store. It's called United Nude. Right. United Nude. 
And it's really gorgeous women's shoes. They're all 3D printed. Okay. And on the window of the store, it said, it said um, we set out to redefine the design of women's shoes, not because we knew the rules, but exactly because we didn't know the rules. So it was, right. it's, there are people who actually break the rules without even knowing there are rules. Okay. Okay. okay, and then they only learn about what those th those those limitations are after they've broken the rules. Okay, I love that. To me, that that totally resonates with me. I'm not a reader of business books, and and I, I don't really understand the pure rules of economics or the financial system. I'm not uh, a, a follower uh, um, uh, of um, uh, icons. Okay. Uh, I don't have traditional heroes. For me, everything is a blank slate. Yes. Everything is a possibility. Yes. Um, and so I love the idea of sort of learning that you've just kind of um, uh, broken through mm. without knowing what you broke, broke through. Broke through, yeah. Okay. To me, that's a very inspirational okay. maverick. Thank you. Why do you think you're a maverick? Well, I don't know. I, I honestly okay. don't. So, okay. I, first of all, I don't... I, I don't um, um, consider myself one. Mm -hmm. um, maybe as, as I define the second group of mavericks, mm -hmm. that could be me. So okay. that, uh, it could be that it's a, not necessarily a willful ignorance, but, but maybe more of almost a willful naivete. Yeah, because if you said you're not somebody who does, like you said, the reflecting bit at the beginning, mm -hmm. that sometimes it's going through those motions that helps you yeah. To alter your own perceptions of yourself. Sure. I mean, this this okay. interview obviously is is sort of a way of of, of framing myself as a maverick, and, okay. and and maybe not having done that before. So. Um, cool. So, yeah, I, I I can't say right now. So okay. that that could be something that I come back to, to but okay. certainly. We will move in that direction anyway. The London School of Economics developed a maverickism scale. Hmm. I'm going to give you seven statements. You just need to say true, false, can't decide. Okay. People tell me that I'm a maverick or words to that effect. True. I have a knack for getting things right when least expected. True. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. True. I'm much more productive than other people. No, false. I have very unusual talents. Can't design. I'm generally underestimated by people. False. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. Can't design. Okay. Why do you do things differently? Um, I think I have prioritized things in a very strange way. I've prioritized my life and life in general in a very strange way. Um, I've always been um, a follower <coughs> of um, um, geologic science, which is the science of very, very long time frames. Mm -hmm. 
And um, when I look at sort of uh, the world, I kind of see this, t I don't see, I see buildings, mm -hmm. but I see everything in, in, in the human built world as a temporary blip in a much, much, much longer time frame. Okay. We are here for only a very, very small slice of this much longer narrative. And so for me, a lot of the things that other people find important are really, really insignificant. So I, like I prioritize, you know, for me, family is absolutely essential. So mm -hmm. if, if, you know, if, uh, if someone says to me, you have the opportunity to change the world, to, uh, to, to be recognized as changing the world. Wow, that's, oh my God, you know, some of my ideas are, that could be, are that big? That's fantastic. Yeah, it just requires you to kind of commit fully to that and sort of, you know, balance everything else. I'm like, you know, I, either I'm too lazy or I just think other things are too important. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and, and take my family to the beach. I'm not okay. going to go yeah. and work on this huge climate change thing. There's way, there's way, uh, there's more people who can do it. Mm -hmm. There's people who are smarter than me. I can add maybe a little bit to the equation, but guess what? I've got, I'm, I'm, even though I live on this geological time scale of billions of years, I also focus on the now. Can you give me an example of what you do differently and how? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things there, right? One is, and this is, I think there's a higher level meta question about, about business maverick and stuff. I think I know myself quite well in terms of what my strengths and weaknesses are. I would not say that I'm an entirely original thinker. I, mm -hmm. I, I'd like to actually say that I love to, to, to think of myself as, as inadequate in as many fields as possible. Yes. So that I have room to grow. Exactly. So I'm going to now say that I'm not actually such an original thinker. However, that being said, having a school like Think gives me an opportunity to create a platform for other people to think differently yes. and to develop their skills. That's enough for me. I don't okay. need more than that. That's fair enough. In my old business, uh, Blast Radius, which I was the chief creative officer of, for me it was all about creating the, 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 the best environment to allow new, original, different, and better ideas to emerge. Okay. Was I the person to come up with those ideas? From time to time, if I was called into action if, if if you know if nobody else was coming up with something yes i would have to mm -hmm. and then you rely on presence you rely on being in the moment you rely on your okay. instinctual brain to just say all right i've got it yeah. right we can get in more into kind of original creative thinking in a minute but um it's to me it's setting the setting the stage okay. for other people to shine yes. which is what i'm most proud of okay that makes complete sense is what you do then equated to the bottom line, so money or something else? Absolutely not bottom line. I I think it it translates into that at a further stage. If everyone is uh, tight, if everyone is tap, everyone I'm working with, and, and I always say, 
working with because yes. I don't do things by myself. No, I, I no. find that if we go back to the definition of maverick, very often there's one stream of the definition that kind of ties in with sort of individualism. Mm -hmm. And I want to be very careful about um, uh, how I would define a maverick. And I, I do think that that's sort of one, uh, one uh, theme that tends to intersect with being a maverick is sort of this rugged, rugged individualist. Mm -hmm. um, not me at all. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very much uh, uh, try, you know, uh, activating, triggering, and, and, and lighting up groups okay. to kind of come up with ideas. Right. Um, to me, that's not maverick at all. That's, it's not the opposite of maverick, but the journey that we go on in terms of heading down a path towards original thought... Um, is never about the bottom line. I think at some point, once we get to a certain state where an idea or movement is mature enough and well-defined enough, we might at that point say, all right, how does that translate into uh, some bottom line? Okay. But, but there's a long process of, of marination and of development before we get to that stage. There's an, idea, there's an idealism that we create with with groups and with with i with idea spaces that that actually carry carry forward quite to, to uh, quite quite um quite a long way before we actually even ask that question so okay. bottom line is not at the front uh, not even it's not polluting uh thought at all it really comes through quite late mm -hmm. in the, in in the game yeah. and that was with my old company as well when we were working with big brands we're working with Nike and Lego mm -hmm. and Nintendo and um, all the big, you know, Microsoft, all the biggest brands in the world. Um, and that was never sort of a consideration early on. And that, that continues to this day. I mean, with Think here, with this new enterprise, uh, profit is not, not a number one at all. In fact, uh, the, the people that we're going to, to kind of engage as potential funders, you know, for us, the positioning is, it's, it's, it's an impact investment. Mm. We're going to put uh, an institute in Vancouver that's a global yeah. creative leadership institute. Yeah. That's going to have impact on the city. Would you like to participate in that? Yeah. Profit okay. is, the, it, it's not even a, not even okay. a, a word. Okay. Is any part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your own life? Yeah, I think a huge part. Okay. Is, is autonomy over your own life. And the only reason I can answer that quite clearly right now is because it's something that as I as I'm uh, dr driven by and carried by this new thing mm -hmm. that I've, I'm getting involved with um, that um, boundary between how much control do I have over everything I'm doing? And, and how much do I need to try to organize and balance? And, and, and um, uh, you know, is there, is there a, a, a larger vision in the future that's clear that I'm moving towards? Or is it all kind of vague and fuzzy? Those are all questions that I'm, I'm struggling with right now. So... I would say that, that a, 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 maverick, a maverick has uh, that in, they have that, they have that sense of control or they have that, um, 
desire for, for that control as some kind of an end goal. Now, whether you ever reach it or not is a whole other story. I mean, to have that as an ideal that you're going for, that's sort of, that's kind of guiding you, to me, that's probably the energy that a maverick is kind of, is kind of uh, trying to create for, them, for themselves and trying to move towards. Do you actually have it? Uh, do you have it sometimes and not others? I mean, th those okay. are the big questions that I struggle with okay. continuously. Every day I wake up, I say, is my family happy? Are they thriving? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So d d does, that, does that mean I have control over my life? Actually, when I think of it that way, when, when, when I frame it that way, it's like, well, actually they are the ones who have control over my life. I'm most worried about that. That's my primary mm. concern and my primary driver is, is my family safe, happy, and thriving, mm -hmm. right? Then I could, then I could if, if that's okay, if I'm, uh, yeah. if I'm happy with that, and not just pretending to be happy, not just, oh yeah, everything's fine, uh, you know, I, yeah. okay, I, I can go off into my other thing, but deep, a deep sense of they're really good then I could feel totally free to do all the other stuff that I, I want to do. Yeah. But not until then. So that's a continuous struggle because how, how, how satisfied, how um, really deeply um, content are you with how safe and thriving your family is? That, that's hard to even gauge, yeah. right? And so my own sense of... Um, of uh, security or insecurity is very much tied to that and then once that's all okay and it's not on it's on a daily basis yeah, almost yeah. then I could say all right I can be completely in the moment and present in all of the other stuff that I'm doing okay I mean there is another side right a much more high high higher philosophical side and then it goes back to the geological time frames that I tend to look at everything through and like how much control does anyone have over their lives you know are, are you know are we exactly. all just you know these uh, pawns in a much larger game yeah um but if we yeah. if we stay there and if, if we just kind of frame that in the question of sort of a maverick and and my maybe very narrow definition of a maverick it does feel to me as though and, and uh, you know, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I'm going to try it anyway. That Mavericks, the, the way that I have that narrow definition of Mavericks, Mavericks tend to ignore, maybe willfully ignore, or maybe just, just through complete ignorance, mm -hmm. that kind of temporal nature of existence. And they're mm -hmm. like, no, I've got this. I'm, I know my path. Mm -hmm. It's this way, okay. seems very sure of themselves, uh, very kind of committed to a certain direction, mm. and thinks that that energy moving in that direction is the life force that, um, that, that can overcome any kind of temporal existence. Okay, okay. That makes sense. I don't know where any of this is coming from. It's just, this is all coming from some, Wherever some it's greater coming, force. It's wonderful. Does doing things differently require certain skills, talents, mindsets, and if so, what are they? Yeah, so, so one, one thing is, uh, I think 
that that you have to be kind of free. Your mind has to be free from the average narrative of 20th and early 21st century consumption okay. where you're thinking about um uh the the you know you're thinking about buying stuff all the time you're thinking about how do i pay insurance on my car how do i cover my mortgage how, you know all of those things are noise that gets that get in the way of very very clear thinking so one is just clear yourself from all that noise because that's really daily meaningless stuff yes. that 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 you don't necessarily you don't really have to worry about so that's what. So there's a lot of noise. So if you can clear yourself from that that unnecessary noise, you're at a different level of thinking. So that's the first. Once you clear yourself from that noise, you are all of a sudden open to all of these signals that the universe is sending you. Now, I'm not a new age guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a religious it. guy. I'm not a spiritual guy. But there have been way too many times in the last you know 20 years of my professional life where a signal has come in and I've, I've chosen to listen to it and I've chosen to follow it. And that signal is not coming from a pure, purely random place. It's coming from a combination of deep immersion in some kind of subject that I'm, I'm passionate about, uh, a certain amount of reflection based on what that immersion was, and then a completely... Um, a, a complete forgetfulness or f forgetting of what I was just thinking about. Mm -hmm. And it's usually in that process of forgetting, mm -hmm. of clearing the mind, where some new, some, a signal enters. And it's paying attention to that signal and yeah. deciding what to do with it. That, to me, is what, where, where my energy is, 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 is coming from in terms yeah. of coming up with original thought, thinking different, and but following that it's path. It's really lovely. I always learn things from different people I interview. If you're open, you'll learn, isn't it? Mm. And it's really funny because you're sitting there saying that, and I'm thinking, you know what? Like, I don't have any noise because mm. my partner is a cost consultant. I do not, I don't, all those things you listed, I don't even have to think about them. Mm. He takes care of that side. I take care of the different side of nice. things. So I've just suddenly realised from you that actually the reason this is flowing the way it's flowing is because somebody's taken that noise out of the Very good. me. And I do, I think that mavericks are, are able to create that space for themselves. Um... And, and I mentioned that before in terms of like creating that channel of I'm going forward and I don't care about temporal existence and geologic, geologic time frames. I just have this, this bubble of, you know, this idea and this drive that kind of keeps me um, uh, uh, insulated from the noise. Okay. So I, I, if, if, I, if I was to kind of... Um, synthesize some of the earlier thoughts and put them in the framework of, of, mm. of Maverick, I think they're able to create that bubble for themselves. Yes. It keeps them, you know, and there might be a lot of noise yeah. that they need to deal with, but they're in that bubble that, that, that insulates them from that noise. And that allows them to think very clearly okay. and that allows them to achieve breakthrough thinking. Okay. What are the challenges to being a Maverick? Well, one is if you don't have a really high level, and this is me, a certain, if you don't have a really high level of self-esteem, mm -hmm. really believe in yourself, 
then very often the original thoughts that you come up with, as you're kind of articulating them to other people, you tend to read other people in a way that reflects negatively on your original thought. So okay. if I'm in a room, I've practiced, I, 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 it, it's an original idea. I believe in it. It gives me a lot of energy. I practice it. I know this backwards and forwards. I don't have the highest self-esteem. I'd say I'm somewhere in the middle. Some days it's off the charts and some days it's off the charts in the wrong direction. Um, I'm pitching, I'm presenting, I'm channeling. Usually that's what I'm trying to do is channeling. And I'm just reading the room in, the, in, the, in a very wrong way. It's not that the room is negative to my ideas. It's that I'm negative to the room. I'm projecting my own insecurity on yeah. everyone. And then that is kind of coming back mm. to reflect on my sense of how I'm coming across. Yes. So to me, a maverick has a certain level of self-esteem that can turn those situations, mm -hmm. that, that can reflect those, those potentially negative situations and, and, and get them to feel that, that the positive energy mm -hmm. coming from everyone okay. rather than the negative energy coming from everyone. Yes. So I, I think that a, ma a maverick is, is, it gets that positive energy from mm -hmm. everyone. So as I said, I, I'm able to reflect on that because I have both. I have, yeah. I can feel the positive energy sometimes and I can feel the negative energy sometimes. Okay. Even if the presentation is exactly the same, even if I have the most friendliest people in yeah. the room, some days I'm just not feeling it myself. Okay. Yeah. And I think a, a maverick, someone who consistently can consistently break through, um, can generate that positive energy for themselves and feel that positive energy coming from everyone else. Okay. Okay. Do you, so can you originate and generate original thought? Mm -hmm. Can you articulate it clearly enough to other people? Can you get their buy-in? Can mm -hmm. you get them to come on board, to come along, to join the movement to come along for the ride, mm -hmm. all that is, is, okay. is good. Um, each one of those does have sort of it, their, ch their challenge. Mm -hmm. And then it's, um, what, how, how are people responding? You okay. know? And, and so this is where the biggest challenge comes. When you have original thought and when you are challenging the status quo, what, it, what to me, the definition of a, yeah. of a good maverick, uh, when you're challenging the status quo, um, you're met with a, a tremendous amount of resistance. And so then the question is, um, uh, what do you do with that resistance? Mm -hmm. How are you channeling the energy from that resistance? Mm -hmm. So the challenge, when you meet the challenge as a maverick, what do you do with that resistance? And so you're coming in, I'm, I'm coming into Khan, the advertising festival that happens every year where everyone just goes and celebrates themselves. Okay. It's a big, you know, you know, it's a big collective masturbation of all of the creative energy that goes into selling yeah. overpriced things to underprivileged people. And everyone's there and I come in and I'm I'm like, "Guys, 
we need to start thinking about how we influence these brands to actually create a completely different consumption behavior mm. based on usage rather than ownership. And that's the beginning of the sharing economy. You know, that's what I truly believe. I believe that the convergence of always-on, connected, powerful mobile devices with sort of real-time data, with an understanding of your consumption behavior, means that we can actually um, uh, consume less, consume more wisely, and um, perhaps turn back all of the damage that we've done to the planet. We, we, it's our job to influence the influencers, to yes. go and um, talk to all of the brands and say, we can do this differently, and you'll still benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And there is a profit motive behind it, but we don't have to uh, continuously figure out how to trick people into buying things they don't need. Are you with me? What do I get? I get complete silence. How do I feel at that moment? That's, that's the challenge that the Maverick needs to take on. Yeah. Okay? How I felt at that moment was the most exhilarated that I've ever felt in my life. I knew that I was carving new territory. Yes. That I was coming up against a status quo. That, that they really responded very, not negatively, but just almost beyond negative. It was... They didn't even know what to make of it. I love that. I love being in that position. It gave me such a, a, a rise, a sense of purpose, a, a sense of I'm carving new territory. That, 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 that energy is what kind of, you know, kept me going, keeps yeah, me going. Yeah, propels you. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you do yeah. when you hit that challenge. Okay. Are there any aspects of your personality or character that influence this Maverick approach? To me, Maverick. To me, Maverick feels like someone who's kind of extroverted, who's willing to put their entire self out there, mm -hmm. um, who's quite um, uh, bold, you know, pioneer. These are other words that yeah, yeah. that are in the same sphere, right? Yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm. Uh, I tend to be a bit reserved, a bit shy. Um, I wouldn't say fully introverted, but I, I, I tend to fluctuate between sort of moments of being an extrovert and moments of being introvert. I would say my, my nature is more introverted. When I'm called to action, I could be extroverted. So, if, so, so, that, so I, I, I express sort of how a lot of, a lot of the, the extroverted words, um, uh, the bold sort of living who you are on the outside, to me, is one of those things that I would lump into a narrow definition of maverick. So I'm not that. Um, I think maybe where it gets interesting is actually if I take the opposite and I say I'm, I'm the introvert, then it's really... Okay, I think where it, where it is is this crazy interplay between being an insider and an outsider. Mm -hmm. The insider is very comfortable in the milieu of whatever is going on and feels like they can be themselves and act naturally yeah. in a safe environment that to me represents a certain 
comfort zone mm -hmm. that's very protective and very kind of status quo. I can be comfortable in those milieus, in that milieu. There's an outsider who kind of looks at that mm -hmm. and who's not challenging it directly, but who's listening, who's mm -hmm. understanding the dynamics of that group and who maybe brings something new to that group that represents both a challenge, mm -hmm. but also represents an opportunity for that group to evolve and perhaps get better um, and perhaps sort of uh, find a, a, a better and more enlightened path. I am that combination of the insider-outsider. Okay. It's yeah. the combination, to me, that is the unique characteristic okay. that makes me a maverick, I would yeah. say, yeah. is uh, both feeling comfortable with a, a, an environment, but also standing a little bit askew mm. and looking at things slightly differently. Not necessarily offering anything immediately, mm. but um, just looking at everything a little bit askew. And that comes from sort of my long... Um, narrative of growing up in a out kind of an outsider community very small religious minority in a larger english wasp kind of culture mm -hmm. within a larger french society mm -hmm. quebec with within a larger english wasp society <laughs> canada okay. within a larger north american sphere so I'm always looking at everything from that small religious minority to the larger French community, to the larger English community, to the larger American sphere. All of those, those different spheres, I'm an outsider looking okay. in. Okay. And, um, and that gives me a lot of energy. I'm, I feel, I'm comfortable in all of those milieus. I'm yeah. comfortable in that tiny little religious minority. I'm comfortable in the French minority within the English majority within the American majority I'm comfortable in all of them but I'm always looking at, at everything as, okay. an, as a slight outsider Are you born or bred a maverick? Yeah It's really nature nurture mm -hmm. um, So it goes back to you know it's personal story my dad is the, a completely unhinged um, um, rules don't apply to him he's yeah. just does his own thing never thought about the implications of retirement <laughs> worked his ass off was very creative throughout his career was a clothing designer okay. um, ran a business profit wasn't the, 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 the first motive it was coming up with the best designs um, and never thought about the implications of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Always thought about living in the moment and, and just, you know, living a, a very creative existence. Um, always did art as, as, his, as his hobby and passion. Always, like me, always kind of was an insider-outsider looking at, at communities from both perspectives. And my mother was completely the opposite. Yeah. Extremely... Everything was buttoned up. Everything was organized. Everything right. was planning ahead. Everything was, you know, project managed to the T. Mm -hmm. So I, I have the, both of those things yeah. in me. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't say that I am one or the other. I am really a synthesis of the two. Like I'm a perfect synthesis of the Which two. Which is a very powerful combination. Right. 
I'm not very well organized, mm -hmm. but I understand the value of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my life partner, I found the person who is that person who's, you know, yeah. really takes care of all of those things, like you. Um, now, so, so there's the nature part, which is I'm synthesized to be both. The, sorry, the nature part. The nurture part, you know, my dad, I, I wouldn't say his artistic side and his creative side ever really had much of an influence on me early on in my childhood, but the things that, the things that he would do with us as we were, while we were kids growing up, in retrospect, it was always like, you know, we're doing things as a family that no other family is doing. Like, we're going to these crazy places and exploring these crazy parts of the world that nobody else is doing. And I always thought, wow, it's weird. Um, you know, you know, why is he taking us on these like three day bike trips through the countryside? Nobody else is taking bike trips. Nobody else is using the bikes for that kind of thing. Um, why is he taking us on these hikes and we're getting lost and we have to hitchhike back and all of these things were things that I didn't really understand as a kid. Why is he taking us to these art galleries and these um, uh, really weird hippie happenings? And none of it made any sense to me as a kid. But all of those things were ingredients. Okay. They were all ingredients that ultimately led me to just be very, very curious. Okay. Extremely curious. So it's the... And that's a common trait that crops up. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Very, you know, yeah. just always asking why. Yeah, so, th so there's that curiosity, yeah. of, you know, from my dad. And then there's just the, the and, and my grandfather's only. My grandfather drove around the world. He spent 10 years just on the road. My grandmother homeschooled, well, road schooled the kids. My grandfather was just driving for 10, 10 years, looking around the next corner. What's around the next corner? For me, that's huge. Um, I took the family on Saturday night. 10 o'clock, we have two young kids, put them in the car, we drove up to the op opposite side of Indian Arm, I don't know if you know the geography too well, it's this fjord that runs 20 kilometers north into the mountains on, on the north shore, we went to the other side of the fjord, takes like an hour and a half to drive there, drove halfway up the fjord where we get a view, and just stayed there until one in the morning looking for the, the aurora, the, uh, the northern lights, because wow. we heard it was going to be on. So the kids are like, where are we going? <laughs> what are we doing? I'm like, girls, this is what life's all look about. Up. You know, exactly. just just be, let's be out there. Let's look for the, let's look at the stars. Let's enjoy the nature and understand that we're just a tiny little nothing, you know. Not even a fleck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how does that feel? And, you know, it's that curiosity. Driving that curiosity is okay. what the greatest gift that my dad gave to me. Yeah. And it's going to be the greatest gift that you I give to my kids. Sure. Yeah. Wonderful. What a lovely story to say. You know, you've actually answered my next question was, which do you think your childhood in any way impacted on you being a maverick? Well, right. definitely. Yeah, because my dad, I mean, as I said, we grew up in this very insular environment. But small town, town called Hampstead. So it's modeled after the Hampstead in, in North London. Garden City, no stores, very insular my dad was never comfortable there. Like mm -hmm. everyone else was achieving. He never felt, he never tried to kind of measure himself against everyone. Yeah. He was just doing his own thing. 
he was the original Maverick of you know in my story, and he just didn't take the same. He didn't sort of have the. We didn't have the same trappings of success as everyone else growing up around he us. He was just using a different metric. He was using a different metric, but I think he was always still stressed out about it because my mother did come from that kind of side of the tracks that's where the, those things mattered to her. Yes. Right. So he struggled with that continuously over his whole life and then one day once you know they got divorced we grew up we we, we weren't in the house anymore he's like okay i'm done i don't need to be measured by those yardsticks mm. anymore i'm gonna do my own thing and now that's what he does yeah so he's free he's now completely free good for him yeah yeah how does how is your enthusiasm drive and energy related to be a maverick i mean are you high energy are you low energy what's it like i get energy from others mm-hmm and, and I try to I try to give energy to others as well. So for me, it's it's a feedback loop. Yeah. And I would say that I'm I don't I'm not super self driven. Right. So I don't okay. have the high drive to like wake up in the morning and say all right I'm gonna get like twenty five things done today and then I'm just gonna nail everything and that's not me. So you know that side of a maverick in terms of being very self driven and like accomplishment is everything not me at all i'm like a lazy bastard who <laughs> likes to serious i like it. to just i like to yeah this would be great and i, I like to bastard. yeah i like to i like to procrastinate mm -hmm. i like to postpone things put things off i'm i'm never sure about you know what the outcome is going to be of anything that i do i'm constantly making mistakes and not learning from them uh, I'm make, I'm doing everything wrong. I'm doing everything wrong, and somehow, I think that that's what makes me different than Melody. Do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna say? I tend to be very intuitive. Okay, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking this is the most unmaverick maverick I've interviewed. Right. That's what's just jumped into my head. Right, which that's I love to hear that because I would say that that's probably you, absolutely all, that's true. What I'm hearing yeah. because I'll be honest with you when you were first, when we first started, I was not thinking. Is, he's talking about Mavericks, but is he one? Yeah. And then you keep flipping it where you're really powerfully giving me examples of how you out and outright are. And then you flip it back to you were saying all that and all my head can hear is this is the most un-Maverick Maverick. You're definitely in, but right. or, but not in a clear-cut way where everybody else was like, yeah, you're defo and you're I'm not sure about. You're kind of like, you're in. Because you're an unmaverick maverick. Yeah. As I, th I think that's a good way of describing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How do you see rules? There's hierarchies, mm. and I tend to kind of like um, understand them and respect them. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean that that I'm not sort of always working in the background to kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, figure out how to. Um, uh, uh, you know how to um, um, uh, break them down. Yes, I am. I'm. I'm I am yeah, working okay. in the background to figure out how to break them down. I love the idea, and 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 I've heard it expressed way better than I'm going to express it now. But I love the idea of you have power structures and you have ideas that are be, that become very calcified and um, uh, very sort of established, mm -hmm. and then one day they're just gone, like instantly, yeah. Yeah. because. Yeah. Someone, a maverick, usually, has come up with a better system mm -hmm. and has come up with something that can replace it. And they 
are talking about it and they're telling others about it and, and others are denying it mm -hmm. first. Then they're kind of, um, they're kind of attacking it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually there's just this acceptance. Well, actually, that is a better way. You know, the example that I use that I uh, very much l live by, I would say, is this new Bitcoin economy versus the financial system. To me, the Bitcoin economy is going to replace the current financial system. The financial system is that old calcified system mm -hmm. that I'm still deferential to. Yeah. Um, we still got to live in the world. We still got to live in the world. And, and, and there's there are things to learn from it, mm. right? There's power structures. Yes. There's econ economics that, that you can learn from that. But I'm all about Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the maverick yeah. that will someday replace it. Okay. Now, the, the, the establishment is going to do everything in its power to Stop first it. attack it, yeah. deny it, ignore it, but eventually it's just going to turn. Okay. And so I love that sort of, um, that idea of, you know, follow the rules, follow along, do your own thing yeah, yeah. on the side, and then when the time is right, Boom. make that, you know, yeah. initiate that switch, trigger okay. that switch. So yes, rules are important. Awesome. In so far as they, they, they give you all of the, the elements and all of the ingredients to understand how to overcome them and how to overturn them. Okay. Have you always taken a maverick approach to business or was there a particular trigger? Yeah, there have been triggers over time. And usually there it's, it's almost like the same trigger that comes over and over again and that is that you know you sit there doing these powerpoint presentations that are going to these very big decision makers and you're there the night before it's two o'clock in the morning you're completely exhausted you know that you still have another five hours of of trying to like force this powerpoint mm -hmm. into existence and then practice it your meetings at nine in the morning you're not going to get any sleep and then something just Something just clicks, which is why, and it goes back to power structure and mm -hmm. rules and all that kind of stuff. Why am I doing, like, is that, is this going to really kind of change things? Is this really going to convince the decision maker? Is this really, mm. what if we just go in and be completely 100% true and yeah. just be like, forget about, structuring and positioning and, and uh, um, uh, defining and helping them understand. What if we just channeled the change? What does that look like? You know, in some cases, that looks like a song. It's mm. just a song comes up and we're just like, that is the channeling of the change. Yeah. We're going to have to do that. And we're going to have to let them, you know, we're going to have to immerse them in that. And then invite them along for the ride, okay. rather than pushing through these like, pushing through these like, you know, death march type of PowerPoint decks that that do a very standard rule based job of mm. kind of convincing a very rule based person to come along with us. We have to be like a hundred percent true because the people who buy into the 100% true are the ones who are your life partners, yeah. right? 
the ones who are, you know, buying into the hundred slide PowerPoint that's sort of this logical build up to this 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 moment, um, they're probably the mid level ma managers who are very quarter by quarter based. Yeah, regimented. Regimented rules based. So we need to kind of connect with them at a completely different level. We need to connect with them at it you know, at the heart and soul. Mm. And so we and this has always been my trigger, my driver is, you know, what is the tr what is the truth and how can we um how can we manifest and articulate that truth in the most true way? Mm -hmm. And then that has been the thing. Yeah, I mean, to me the trigger if I give you a just a story very, yeah, that happened definitely. very recently, um, and it, this is this gets back to kind of and, and it, it keeps coming back. So it's mm -hmm. like one of those lessons that I always forget, and then I remember when it happens. And the trigger was that, that you know I was trying to I was giving a I was preparing a talk in front of about twelve hundred people, and it was about think it was about the school, and I had this beautiful deck, and I had this great story, and it was about. You know, going to, I was taking a trip to, uh, I was leading a trip in Israel from, 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 Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho. We were going to drive from Israel to Palestine mm -hmm. on bikes. And we we're going to bring sort of all this, we're going to, we we're prototyping a trip to bring all this business to Palestine so that the Palestinians could feel that there's this, like, all these tourists who want to ride their bikes to Palestine and, and engage with. Um, all of the local businesses. So I was trying to like weave the story together between the school yeah. and between this trip and the slides look great, the story was great, but I wasn't feeling it. it. Just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. So it was two in the morning before the, this big presentation and, and I was lying in bed going through the thing in my head and, and you know, uh, yeah. the, the slides were kind of in my head as well. Playing it in front of you. Playing it in yeah. front of me, yeah. and I was like trying to get the, the story right, and it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. It wasn't coming to me. I just wasn't feeling it. And then, out of nowhere, a song just popped in my head. Mm -hmm. And it's not a song that I even like. Like, I, I hate this song. Okay. It's a crappy song. Okay. You know this song. Everyone knows this song, and it's terrible, and it's annoying, and it's... But... It just kept playing. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't get it out of my head. And it just occurred to me that, screw the deck. Screw the, the message. I just have to sing this thing in front of everybody. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to go over well or not. But it, I'm just going to have to do it. I'm going to have to throw myself out there and sing this really crappy song in front of everyone. And of course, as soon as I committed to that decision, everything else just fell into place mm -hmm. beautifully. Yeah. I knew that I was going to be able to tell my story about Think and about the bike ride because I was able to kind of then frame it in terms of the story of this idea yeah. of a song coming into my head. So let's sing the song. But let me tell the story before we sing the song. The song was the Queen song, I Want to Ride My Bicycle. I Want to Ride My yeah. Bike, right? Which is a really crappy song. It's a good message. But it's a really crappy song. But... That's what I did up on stage. I basically said, look, I was going to tell you a story about this and that, but I just, as I was preparing the presentation, the song popped in my head and I couldn't get it out, so I'm just going to have to sing it now. That's the only way I'm going to get be able to get it out of my head. So we're going to do, for the first time ever, we're going to do a sing-along. I'm not going to sing it yeah. myself. We're going to sing it together. It's a perfect song to do the call yeah, and response yeah. thing, right? So 
There it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. So we did a sing-along. Everyone had a great time. Everyone remembered everything. Yeah. And I was completely true to myself. I, I was able to to live and channel the feeling of what Think is all about yeah. and what my bike project is all about in this song. That pure purity of creative idea, vision, following your passion, all that kind of stuff, that purity, that trigger, that moment reminded me that those are the moments in life yes. that you go for, that you absolutely go for. And so to get to, to trigger those moments is my life's mission. Mm -hmm. To trigger those moments in other people, not in myself. Mm -hmm. I don't care about doing it myself. I want to be I want other people to feel that almost religious spiritual energy of just I've got it. I'm I'm it's crazy. Nobody's gonna believe me. Nobody is going to you know listen, but this is it. And we're going to do it and we're going to go deep on it. Yes. Completely understand. I know you do. <laughs> Are you always a maverick or do you choose to be so at times? What you're seeing right now with me is me. 100%. Yeah, I get that. 100%. So... You know, if I'm doing work, if I'm talking to you, if I'm at Think, if I'm talking to people who are as lit up as I am about things, about mm -hmm. life, about uh, ideas, about talking about Maverick, all this kind of, this is my, I love it. Okay. So I'm in the, I'm in the flow. Yes. Am I always in the flow? No, I'm not always in the flow. Okay. I, I, I would say I'm in the flow as much as I could possibly be. Time is, is, is immaterial. Um, I forget about where I am. Mm -hmm. I, I, I forget myself. I'm just completely in the flow. I love it. But I'm abs... And, and to me, being in the flow and being a maverick are, are very, very closely aligned, right? But, no, I'm not. Sometimes yeah. I'm actually very out of flow. Yeah, okay. And very scared and alone and I, I, I don't want to ask for help I, I'm insular I'm introverted I'm worried uh, I'm, I'm, something's keeping me up at night that, that, that I that I'm, and, and then I know I feel it that, that I'm not myself that I'm not in my own skin I'm almost outside of myself in a, in a bad way um, I'm also there. And I think the only way you could really know when you're in flow and when you're out of the moment and when you're in that that moment of being a maverick is if you actually know it's opposite. Do you know a really good way somebody explained this to me, okay? It's like, there's two things, two examples they use. One is, yeah, you can only experience loudness if you've experienced silence. Mm. And then the other analogy I've heard used is if you put a lit candle in a if if I put a if I lit a candle now and stuck it there, is it going to make much difference to this room? But what if it what if it was three o'clock in the morning and pitch black and I lit the same candle? So you have to have yeah. both yeah. to be able to appreciate the time. So if you if you if you've never had not had flow, then how are you going to know when you're in the flow? 100%. And vice versa. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So this maverickism. I've asked you the question about do you choose to be so at times the next question is do you turn 
um, the dial up and down on your maverickism level. Like, for example, here you are, you're sitting here talking to Billy, she's writing a project, you know she's interviewing all these people who are mavericks. In this situation, I can go 10 out of 10 yeah, on the yeah, maverick right, scale. Yeah. You know, in this situation, I'm going to speak to a bunch of really conservative people. They want to do business with us. They, you know, the, the ideas we're projecting will help their company grow. Fictional situation. Sure. In this situation, I reckon a three is about. I yeah, need to yeah, down yeah, to yeah, yeah, So yeah. do you do that? Yeah. 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 So I'm not. I'm. I'm. I. I have a scale. Yeah. I don't know the scale. I've never even. Yeah. Yeah. I've never even uh, um, defined it until mm-hmm. you have. Um, but as much as I'd love to say. That I'm a hundred percent always me. Well, I am. I'm a hundred percent always me, mm-hmm. and 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 I yeah, have yeah, I that. days that I'm in flow and days that I'm not. Days that I'm very insecure. Days that I'm very secure. Days that that everything is great and and fantastic, and and days that you know the whole world is falling apart, mm-hmm. and all of that translates into how I am in the world. Okay. So, I know that my role in most situations whether it was as head of creative in my in the company that I started mm-hmm. back then or as founder of think my role is kind of the maverick yes so i feel supported by the people that i am with mm-hmm. and by just my own sense of self yes. to be able to go in there and feel like I have a very, very free license to say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. However, there's still, there is a, there is a band of, um, you know, turning it up and turning it down. There's no doubt. Okay. What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? I think the advantage, the advantage is, um, not being so outcome focused, mm-hmm. being more journey focused. Definitely. And uh, like to me, it's that's that's just what it's all about. I mean, I, I'm I'm very much about the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I de- I do. I would say in most of my life, I do have some guiding. There's some guiding yeah. thing out there. Yeah. It's not perfectly articulated, but it's clear enough. Mm that I know that there's something I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. It's not very well defined, but I know it's out there. And I'm, I'm meandering there. I'm taking steps in that direction continuously, mm-hmm. very subconsciously. Mm-hmm. It's not this very well-planned uh, march towards that goal. But there's something out there, and I'm weaving my way there. Yeah. And that's kind of how I've always felt successful okay. uh, or been successful. Is, is not really having the exact mm. articulation of the goal in mind and not exactly knowing all the steps to get there. Mm. But in sort of taking each step, yeah. kind of it becomes a bit clearer where I'm going yeah. and, 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 and what we're doing, right? Mm. I would call that an advantage. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that, you know, the, the maverick and the pioneer, again, being closely connected, de- you know, from a definition perspective... Um, that's what they're kind of going for, right? The disadvantage is, um, the disadvantage business, the disadvantage is, yeah, not really 
having a clear eye on the bottom line and not really having a clear eye on um, on sort of a, uh, the details. Okay. I'm not a details guy at all. Yeah. And it's not like I hate them. No. Um, and when I'm deeply in flow with, with coming up with an idea and working it out, I'm fine with details, but I tend to not get into the details. I okay. tend to have people who are working with me who love the details. Yes. And... A smart person gets those people in their team fast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so, so like, in my old company, I was the creative guy, I had the yeah. vision, and then I, I brought someone in who ultimately became the CEO. Okay. He was Mr. Details, Mr. Yeah. Hands-on-everything, and I was Mr. Hands-off-everything, yeah. and it, yeah. it worked out really, really well. I mean, also, from my own religious background uh, and my wife's background, we tend to be I'm much more she's God is in the details mm -hmm. and I'm like God is is the universe yeah so there's like these totally different you know points of view and that translates into kind of how we manage the house yes you know, the, I'm exactly the yeah, same in our house yeah I'm like okay we're kind of heading in this direction in terms of our life and I'm going to be sort of guiding us there mm -hmm. and she's much more well yeah, that's fine, but, you know, what are we having for dinner? Yeah. You oh, better think about that, that, that too, well. yeah, right? But it's kind of, yeah, very, very similar. Has Asian experience altered your maverick approach? And if so, how have you grown? I think I'm more, probably more, I'm more comfortable in my skin now. I, I don't have to worry about sort of shaping an identity or, mm -hmm. I don't care as much about what people think about me now. But maybe when I was in my twenties and thirties, I you know I was okay. a little bit more careful and calculating about my persona. Okay. Didn't help me at all. Yeah. Um, I I think I'm just more, just comfortable with who I am. Mm. Um, I I do think, mm -hmm. and this is an admission again of whether I'm a maverick or not. It's a question mark. The accomplishments that I've already had. Mm -hmm. definitely make me feel more comfortable in that role of a maverick okay. than if I hadn't had those accomplishments. Com makes complete sense. So there was a, almost a validation hmm. of years and years of thinking differently and, and trying new approaches and yeah. whatever. Okay. There was a validation of that. That being said, the, the... Insight I had when I finished that, which was in 2012, and I, I, I went to think as a student, was actually a big part of the latter half, the, the second eight years of the 16-year run mm -hmm. of being head of creative for a, a, big, a big company, was that the second half of it, really, I wasn't much of a maverick. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, it was going through the motions. Yes. I was able okay. to get results that were fine that were breakthrough or, you know, clients loved it without actually really having to do very much. Okay. And that made me feel uncomfortable. So I, I said to myself, you know, and this I think this is maybe another definition of Maverick, is that you need to kind of you need to kind of realize when you're no longer a Maverick. And you need to do something about that. Yeah. So I, I feel that that I, I kind of stopped being a maverick once the company started to become quite established it's that comfort zone thing isn't comfort it? zone yeah exactly okay so can you 
can you admit to yourself? Can you admit to others that you have, have you entered that comfort zone? Yeah. And what do you do when you're in that comfort zone? Do you stay there? Which is, you know, you're new to Vancouver, but every, you know, not everyone, most people around you are in a comfort zone here. Oh, honey, I saw that the day I walked in. Okay, yeah. you saw it, right? I you see that. the Lululemon pants, you see the small dogs, yeah. you see the yoga studios, you see the cafes, you see that people are just sitting on um, expensive real estate and charging rent and walking around in this beautiful sunny place. Everyone here is in a comfort zone. Not everyone, but most people. I mean, this, is, this was my driver for bringing things to Vancouver. Okay. I hate... And we're going to get into some deeply ugly stuff now, but I hate the comfort zone that Vancouver finds itself in. Mm. Vancouver is in a comfort zone, and it's, it's a self-sufficient bubble of, we don't need anybody else. We've got very wealthy, very talented immigrants that come in with a lot of money. We've got oil running through our veins and running through our nature that go to the, the, the pipeline. We've got beautiful natural scenery that we could charge top dollar for. We've got rising real estate and huge demand from people coming in from all over the world. What problems, right? The point about think is, and the, and the thing that takes me out of my comfort zone to do think is, well, how can you take uh, an institute that's trying to do breakthrough thinking and trying to change the world and bring it to a place that actually feels that it's pretty comfortable, thank you very much, it's th there's so many levels of comfort zone that I'm trying to break by by bringing think here my own in terms of hey we've been living a comfortable life in in Amsterdam for quite a long time here's Vancouver let's take ourselves out of the comfortable Amsterdam bubble we've been living in come to Vancouver live kind of uncomfortably like we're not living as nicely as we lived there you know try to find schools for the kids during a teacher's strike Try, you know, all these different things. So there's the, the personal comfort. Then there's the professional comfort zone, which is bringing a school here. We don't, we, you know, nobody knows us. Um, we're starting from scratch. We need a lot of money. We don't have anyone working for us. There's that professional comfort zone. And then there's the comfort zone that I like to talk to stakeholders here about, which is the Vancouver comfort zone. How can we break that Vancouver comfort zone? How can we um, inspire Vancouver to think of itself as a player on the global stage rather than just Vancouver as this bubble of self-sufficiency that doesn't need to worry about anything? And that's my primary driver. That's the comfort zone that pushes me out, pushes everyone else out, makes people feel uncomfortable, but, but frames it in a big enough challenge that people are like, I love what you're talking about. We got to do that here. Okay, so maybe you'd be interested because what I do is when we're talking, there's no point saying all these things at the end. It's better to tell you. Yeah, well. it really is. Completely with you. I my take on Vancouver. I love it. I'm a snowboarder. I wanted to live by the mountain. Boom, I'm here. Right. I was savvy enough to know very. Some I went to um, one of my mavericks is a um, uh, angel investor. Yeah. And she turned around, we had this conversation, and I told her what I really thought about Vancouver, and she went, for somebody who's just got here, you sussed this place out really <laughs> yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, the first thing is, is... Um, but that's it for me, if I just go back yeah. to yeah, an yeah, earlier thing, insider-outsider, right? Yeah. I, used to, I lived here for 17 years. Yes. 
I moved here for the same reason you moved here and for the same reason yeah. your your boyfriend moved here. I fell in love. I grew up in Montreal. Yeah. I, I fell in love. 13 years old, I came out here. I knew this oh, is yeah. it. Yeah, same here. And then from 13 on, I, again, I was on this vague path. How am I going to, am I going to, uh, but I, eventually I know I'm going to be here. And when I was old enough to go to university, I, I got accepted to UBC and I came yeah. out. No, that makes sense. So my take on Vancouver is very like yourself. I think um, it's so comfortable it's so comfortable with where it's at, it doesn't actually see its actual potential. Exactly. Right? Yeah. When I came here, somebody said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to put Vancouver on the map for innovation. And I, I'm a firm believer, say it out loud to the universe. Yeah. Somebody needs to stick a stick of fucking dynamite in this place to show them, do you actually know what you've got and what your potential is? Yeah. And exactly. That's how I feel about it. Perfect. Yeah. We're very much in alignment. Yeah. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in? So, if we if we define maverick here as sort of unconventional and leading, okay, and breaking the rules, I would say that that for me there's a radical trust. Mm -hmm. That I put in people, where and and so where I have a conversation like we're having today, mm -hmm. and I, I I kind of meet them on a on a on a very deep level, mm -hmm. and then I invite them, you know, let's work together, okay. and then I just we're partners, mm -hmm. we're partners, and there's just a very very deep level. I would call it radical trust. Yes. Which means um, each that, that each individual knows that we're, what we're pulling for. Yeah. We're all pulling in the same direction. Each person knows that. And I don't really need to actually spend that much time checking in whether they're actually on that path or not. Yeah. I just know. know it. I know. Yeah. And so, to me, radical trust is one area that, that I've been successful with. And that's, that's um, I wouldn't necessarily say that with, with every business mm -hmm. or with even a, with every maverick business where you do have some mavericks who are so driven by their passion and purpose that they really need to have control over every aspect mm -hmm. of how that enterprise is unfolding. Mm -hmm. I would say that the vision... And the shared cause is yes. the driver. Yes. And then the radical trust is the thing that um, that that ties us together, sort of emotionally and spiritually. We don't need a lot of command and control. We don't need hierarchy. We don't. We don't need any of that. We because need. Because everybody knows which bit they, which 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 way their oars got to pull to make the boat go in the right yeah, direction. Yeah. Exactly. We need. We need. We need great deep conversations yes. that that energize us mm -hmm. continuously. So And they're usually the deep conversations that everybody else seems to avoid like the plague. Right, exactly. Um, that that's kind of so, you know, example with Sarah, uh, my partner at Think, is we had to talk about a whole bunch of things mm -hmm. over the weekend. And we said, you know what? Well, why don't we why don't we take the kids? Because she has a little boy. Mm -hmm. Why don't we take them to the petting zoo? 
and have a picnic. Yeah. And so that's where we and talked. We did, exactly. And we didn't talk about small, petty things. Mm -hmm. We can deal that with that today. Yeah. With, with, with everyone else who's kind of working with us. Yeah. Who knows what they, they have to do. We're going to talk about some of the big issues. Yeah. And for us, the big issues are how do we get that amazing, this is where you come in, how do we get that amazing cohort, that first cohort of the best people, right. 30 people who all have the capacity to change the world individually right. and together? Okay. That's our big question, right? Right. What aspects of your business are you least mavericking? What do you do just like everybody else? Mm. Great question. I would say that I tend to be, again, it goes back to this kind of insecurity maybe, or this almost different, I wouldn't say the same person, but maybe different personas over the course of the day. And, you know, I'm not the kind of person who, like, calls everyone together in the morning and says, all right, guys, rah, rah, let's go, hey, really? right? No. <laughs> okay, I'm joking. I, it just doesn't feel like me. Like, I, I just, again, the radical trust mm -hmm. for me means that everyone is inspired and enlightened to kind of do great stuff, do great work, pull in the same direction. I just don't feel like I need to deliver that kind of energy. So, and, but I know that other, in other companies and creative companies, they mm -hmm. do a lot of that kind of stuff. It's not so much the cheerleading, it's the presence mm -hmm. and the, you know, I know how important it is. We do it at Think. Mm -hmm. I don't do it enough. I, I tend to be much more, <coughs> and, and maybe it's, the work ethic that was instilled in me by my dad, even though he was un very unconventional, his work ethic was workaholic. Mm -hmm. So he was unconventional thinker, but he worked like a workaholic. Mm -hmm. So that's where he probably sort of conformed to the rules. In the office at 7 in the morning, leaving at 7 at night. We didn't mm -hmm. see him for years. Um, weekends, he was the greatest dad in the world who instilled mm -hmm. the curiosity. During the week, he was the work dad yeah. who had an, an unconventional way of doing business, but he had a very conventional way of being in the office it's quite funny putting in the time. It's quite funny because I've said that you were like the, um, the most unmaverick maverick and yeah. your dad sounds like the most unconventional conventionalist, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if, if I would say yeah. conventional, for me, like... Putting in the time at the office, whatever the office is, with people, being there, just not even, don't have to do that much. Okay, team, uh, yeah. but before lunch, we're going to do a five-minute eye-opener, mm. this thing, this thing. Someone else is going to do that. Okay. Radical trust, let them handle it. Yeah. I like to be there. I like to be the first one in, the beginning of the day, the last one to leave. I said I'm lazy before. The laziness doesn't necessarily translate into how much time I spend. It's yes, what I do, do with, with that, that time. time. Yeah. I'm not productive. Okay. I said that. Being there, being with the team, be just giving the, the right type of energy, not in any unconventional way, just by being there, by, mm -hmm. by, 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 by letting others know that the person who 
launched this enterprise and who has a tremendous amount invested in the outcome and in, in the journey is just there. They're yeah. just around. Okay. That's to me is conventional. Okay. How do you balance being a maverick with home life? It's okay, I have a story. I was invited because I was a maverick, and what we, we didn't yeah, yeah. say this word. I was invited to a retreat mm -hmm. with 30 business leaders. Right. 30 business leaders to have a brainstorm, a two day brainstorm session with the Dalai Lama in, uh, in uh, Delhi. Okay. So, very excited. The brief. You know, we, we were all given sort of a certain amount of time to kind of present ideas to His Holiness. I'm not a spiritual guy. I don't think he's that special, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, for, for other people, I'm super happy for them that they find yeah. something. For me, it's like, you know, he's a very he's a very special spiritual leader. I'm still excited. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity yeah, yeah. to meet like this icon of uh, spiritualism, I guess. And so we were all there and we're brainstorming and, you know, he's in the room and he's giving amazing, like, unbelievable wisdom. You know, like the stuff you would expect from such an incredible guy. And, uh, and then we break off for dinners and drinks and stuff like that. He goes somewhere else. And, you know, I'm sitting around these tables with all of these people who are like world changers. These people are way more accomplished than I will ever be. And I don't care, you know. I'm just happy to be in the room with him. Grateful to have this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Head of United Nations Children's This and Care International and these huge family foundations that give billions of dollars to like all these things. And I kept hearing the same story. And that story was that somewhere there, something had to break. There had to be a sacrifice. And for most of those people, the sacrifice was their family. They were not able to follow their life's mission to change the world and be there for their family. It was one or the other. They could not do both. They are called to be all over the world. They are called on all of these great missions. They are carried away by this huge ideal at the expense of something that yeah. they themselves considered less important. Okay? That's not what they said, but that's what I read into it. Mm -hmm. So I felt at that time that the kind of important work that they were doing and the ability to make sure that their family was thriving mm -hmm. was incompatible. That was the conclusion that I came to. So I was being judgmental, and I said to myself at that time, I will ne I do ne I do not want to find myself in that position. I do not want to get carried away with the movement at the expense of my own family, their mm -hmm. happiness and their thriving. I will not let that happen. Mm -hmm. This was at a mo moment when it was January of 2011. My wife was expecting our second child in February of 2011. <laughs> she was this big. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, you, you only have this one chance to do something like that. Yeah, no. You should go I do it. That. Baby could pop out at any moment. It's okay. I had her full support to go and do this. And, and, and so I was hypersensitive to these conversations. Yeah, yeah, right? Definitely. We were about to have our second child. 
I, I think it's possible for those who are driven enough by their own ideas and by their sense of, you know, am I doing meaningful work, work that brings a ton of energy and meaning to me and my life and to other people? And can I take that energy, that same energy, and, and bring it to the home and make sure that the, the, the home life that's so rich and uh, enriching and um, vivid is translating back? Can I bring my best self to, to those two areas. things? Yes. Can I do it? I think it's possible. Has it been possible for me? I could unequivocally, unequivocally say, no, I have not been successful in bridging those two things. I, I just haven't. Will I be? Will, am I on the path? The journey? Is the journey? 100%. Maybe you just need a little bit of hand-holding in some ways. Sometimes yeah. that's what it is. I mean, I'm on a similar journey, but I would say the way I do it is, because I used to work in palliative care, I have a different perspective. Yes. So, for example, this is amazing. This ride is the best ride I've ever been on. I can tell you now, if I got a phone call to say that my anything had happened to Charlie Mark, right, this would go on hold. If I had to walk away, I would walk. Yep. And it's as long as I can see that, I, I will stay on the right path. Sure. Completely. I mean, the yeah. Yeah. The, so the the struggle I have is sometimes in the very deep philosophical duality of 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 myself and my partner. I'm about God is the universe, so it's it's all about the big idea. Details doesn't matter. The big idea is going to help drive us forward to this beautiful rosy future, and she's all about no no no. God's in the details. If you want to be a member and active in this family mm. you got to be here yeah. you got to be delivering the fatherhood not be the symbol of oh, this yeah. great leader but you've got to yeah. be there doing the dishes taking care of it you've got to be active in the daily life is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind yeah big part of it What's the uh, legacy? Well, no, legacy. Well, le hold on. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this for a second. You know, this whole legacy thing, I, I struggle with it, to okay. be honest. Um, it sounds very, uh, almost egocentric. I, you, know, it, you know, there's more than one side to legacy, yeah, yeah. of course. But I think most people are kind of, and this is very cynical, I think most people are driven to leave a legacy for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. um, the fact of the matter is, I don't even I don't really care about a legacy. Okay. You know I don't I really don't. I mean, what I'm if 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 I was to really dig deep into kind of bridging this question with the last one, it's a lot of it and and then bridging that with the very first question which was about this geologic time scales that I think about the world on, then after my kids were born, all of a sudden my own time frame moved from the end of my life to 
something that's much, much more distant. So in terms of legacy, I think there is something there. It's no longer another 50 years. Mm -hmm. It's now much longer. It's 200 years, let's say. When I look out 200 years, what as a maverick, let's say, or maybe as someone who's actually just starting to kind of absorb the current narrative, it doesn't actually, like, I'm, I'm an optimist in terms of, I wouldn't say I'm an optimist. I'm a happy pessimist, which mm -hmm. means I wake up every day and it's a good day. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, my happiness set point is, is, is up. There's like a set point. You could be below it. You could be above it. Mine's always above the happiness set point. And it's going to stay there regardless of what happens. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who are below it and they need to do a lot of work to stay above it. Mine is, I'm, I'm blessed by having a set point that's above. You know. So, but when I look out into the future, I, it, doesn't, it does not appear to me at the moment, looking at the facts on the ground, being, putting on my maverick hat and saying, I need to kind of look at signals that I'm getting that give me a sense of what the future is going to be like. It actually doesn't look that great. So... My, the question I have to myself and the thing that's driving me to be a maverick and not necessarily leave a legacy, yeah, yeah, but just yeah. to be a maverick is to say, how can we create a different outcome yes. for the future? Yeah. Does that, will that leave a legacy or not? I have no idea. It's one of those things. There's a vague goal out there around answering the question, how could I yeah. create a different outcome for the future, a better outcome for the future? The legacy is a byproduct of reaching okay. for that thing. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. How much, if anything, of being a maverick is related to give back or paying it forward? I think a lot, but but it, it, it complete again. If it depends on how you define maverick, like if. I think if you take someone like Richard Branson, right, who's like the, the probably the, the prevailing definition of a business maverick. Although if you read Naomi Klein's new book, you'd see that actually he's really not. But that's another story. Um, Mavericks tend to be risk takers. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken in business to date? Launching Think in okay. Vancouver right. is by far... The biggest risk. Okay. It is something that's making me feel very uncomfortable. Um, not from a uh, uh, the idea perspective yeah. or the people or the, the teamwork or whatever, but in terms of how much I'm putting on the line yeah. to make this happen, yeah. it is many, many, many degrees beyond what I thought I would even capable of doing in terms of risk. Um, when we started Blast Radius in my apartment in Kits in 96, I didn't have a, a, a car, I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have a family, I didn't have kids, I didn't have a wife, um, I didn't have a reputation. There was nothing to lose. Um, this is a completely different story. Okay. Makes sense. So, um, so Blast Radius, apart from this business, 
Blast Radius is the only other business you've had for the last five years, right? Yeah. Okay. So, how many ventures have you taken in the past five years? Now, use ventures or projects because it depends. Some people I interview are serial entrepreneurs. They're starting company after company. Yeah. But if somebody's had one company, I just say, well, how many projects have you done? Yeah. So, there's, there's a number of different dimensions to kind of my activities. One is think. Mm-hmm. The other is investing and taking kind of an active position in different startups. Mm-hmm. Some, are, some are more social startups and some are more, let's say, for-profit tech startups. Mm-hmm. And the third one is my own idea that comes from my passion purpose. So yeah. think is my, the, my, the expression of what I think is important to do societally. Yes. And um, it's the thing that I spend the most amount of time and I have the most amount of risk in. Okay. The other projects are things I have some money invested in Mm -hmm. as an impact investor. And I spend time with them sharing, let's say, my own approach to how do you come up with breakthrough ideas, how do you articulate them, all that kind of stuff. Maverick thinking, sharing the maverick thinking as a mentor. Gotcha. As an investor mentor. And then I have my own idea, which is around um, my, my passion is cycling. And I think I, it's my firm belief that, that within the next 20 years, a billion people will be getting on bikes. A billion new people, yeah. net, net new. And that has a huge capacity to both be socially um, impactful, but also impactful from a, uh, a financial perspective, economic perspective, and climate perspective. I don't have the secret to turn back the climate, to, 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 to turn back climate change. Mm-hmm. But I definitely want to um, be involved in lots of different projects that when you add them all up, mm-hmm. the net result should be that we can actually make a big, big change. Okay. Okay. So, uh, most of my drivers revolve around that, whether it's think, bringing in people who have really big, world-changing ideas to that effect, uh, my own bicycle project, a billion new people on bikes, what are we going to do about it, and a lot of the um, stuff I invest in, whether it's tech for profit or social. Okay. What would you consider the characteristics of a success- successful venture? What does success look like to them? Mm-hmm. Um... There's, it's a combination. It's a social impact plus um, a sustainable business model. Okay. A combination of the two. Okay. Very. So, of the ventures that you've done, how many of them were successful? Like, what percentage if there was loads? But according to the definition that you've just given me. Uh, according to the 100% definition I've given you, how many are successful? Mm-hmm. I would say a grand total of zero. Okay. That's fine. What leads to successful Hold on, let, let me think about that a little bit more. Okay. No, it's not zero, but it's, I guess why I'm saying zero, I'm, I'm, I'm very purposely saying zero because yeah. um, I want to hold that definition as, an, as the ideal. Yes. And for one reason or another, one piece of the puzzle hasn't been like 
you know, it's maybe it's been profitable but not enough social impact. Yeah, gotcha. Or maybe it had in its essence profit and social impact, but it failed as a business. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that's why I say zero because yeah. they're all early stage. Just, so okay. Yeah. What leads to successful execution of a venture? When a project is successful, what is it that makes it successful? Um, momentum, in terms of how people are engaging with it, mm -hmm. uh, and how people are engaging both inside and outside mm -hmm. with, with the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's the, it's the momentum of, of how, they, how they engage with it. Now, that engagement could be a very tiny engagement that has a huge growth curve, where lots of people are kind of picking it up, mm -hmm. or that momentum could be that it's a very few amount of people, but who are engaging so deeply with it that some new knowledge is emerging. So it's, it's scale, mm -hmm. but scale then has a couple of different definitions. Scale could be billions of people using a tiny fraction of what you're doing, okay. or scale could be a small group of people who are passionately involved in um, co-creating something. Yeah. They're, they're, they're both scale. Yeah. What do you do that makes a venture successful? What do you bring to the table? Um, I'm still in the process of figuring that one out. <laughs> uh, mostly, mostly it's the outsider perspective. So even though I take a role or a position in, 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 and, and, and have a risk and have a deep involvement in most of the things I'm doing, I still always have this outsider perspective where I'm, I'm feeling very a warm welcome from everyone who's involved. But I'm seeing things from the outside okay. in. And because of that, I tend to, to not get so deeply ingrained in the day-to-day decision-making right. that I'm not, in the, I'm not in the woods. I'm sort of above, I'm looking at the forest. Yeah. And so when I'm engaged with any of these um, uh, ventures, including Think, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the forest and I'm reminding people of the forest rather than the trees. And I'm, I'm the one who kind of represents that for the different companies that I'm involved with. That makes, yeah, yeah I get that. When a venture is unsuccessful, what do you consider are the main reasons for failure? Um, well, we could take one very recently um, that happened. So there was one that it hasn't failed completely, but it's, it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. uh, great idea, I think. Um, the Nelson Mandela Foundation is licensing out some of the material about uh, from Nelson Mandela's life so that different um, social impact companies could create products and services around his legacy. Okay. So one of these is a company called 90210 uh, um, um, 93368 I can't remember the exact mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a digit and the digit was his prison prison number on Robin Island. Gotcha. Um, four double six six four four double six six four, and um, clothing brand, 
that kind of celebrates the sartorial excellence of Nelson Mandela because he he always insisted on wearing a really nice suit when he went to uh, mm. his court hearings versus his prison outfit at Robben Island, which was a pair of striped pajamas. Um, so the founders of this company, I think, had a really big ideal, which was great. You know, let's, let's celebrate his legacy. Let's create this clothing brand. Let's create the first luxury clothing brand from Africa. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I love that. To me, the pioneering maverick yes, thing yes, was definitely. there in the ingredients of the story. It's like, great story. My, my early sort of first few jobs were in, uh, in uh, clothing. My dad was in clothing. So I worked for him. So I had some, some ingredients of my own life that were kind of, you know, connected. So I said, okay, yeah, you know, I'll take a shot. I'd love to be involved in helping to grow the story. Um, I think the main reason that it didn't work was although there were mavericky elements of some parts, which were the idea, the brand, the the story of mm-hmm. being the first, you know, luxury fashion brand in Africa, in, coming from Africa. Those elements were all, all scored very high on the Maverick Index. The stuff that scored low on the Maverick Index was the actual founder mm. and, and some of the leader leadership in the company who took a very financial approach yes. to, um, to doing this. It was very much spreadsheet. It was very much operational. It was very much, you know, Excel. Okay, this is, these are the projections, mm. all that kind of mm. stuff. And so I loved that. The reason I gravitated towards that was because I thought, well, this guy really has the, 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 book, the two ingredients. Yeah. You know, I thought that would make a very successful business. But the lack of Maverick leadership mm-hmm. versus Maverick idea. Maverick idea was big. Maverick leadership wasn't. Yeah. The lack of Maverick, Maverick leadership, I think, really was the reason why it didn't succeed. Okay. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? Again, it goes back to the definition of maverick. I think a true maverick is totally honest with himself and or herself and his or her intentions so I would have to say, as an honest maverick, I'm afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's the fear and the understanding of that fear that allows me to have ideas. Mm-hmm. To have, um, because to me, fear is a, is a universal human condition. And it's, it, it's very much one of the big essences of what drives us. So it's, it's, it, if I'm afraid of everything mm-hmm. and I take pains to actually understand what that is, what's behind that, then I'm actually capable of extrapolating that out to, um, to, to create ideas that will resonate with people because when you realize what's driving your own fear and by extension what's driving other people's fear then you can actually create things that make people feel very safe yes and very secure okay okay 
You've touched on a, um, a number of these things, but how important is team to you as a maverick? Team is everything. Okay. Team, team is everything. I mean, uh, the, it's the opposite to me, again, of the, of the classic definition of a maverick. Um, although I hate groupthink, mm -hmm. and I am an outsider in mm -hmm. terms of my thought process, in terms of actually execution of an original idea, mm -hmm. um, not only execution, but, but sort of articulating an original idea, I, I always work with teams. It's very, very important. And does being a maverick actually affect your approach to leadership? Because especially since you've just said that last project yeah. was failing because it was because of its lack of maverick leadership. Yeah. I'm very interested to hear where you sit. Absolutely, yeah, a hundred percent. So I tend to. So. So here's me in a nutshell. I'm, uh, because I'm a bit of an introvert and uh, you know self-described. It takes me a while to warm up to people. I mm -hmm. think what happens is I tend to leave a very very positive first impression, mm -hmm. and then there's this sort of lull period where I'm not very good, mm -hmm. and then over the longer tail of a, of of an engagement or of a relationship, that's where my true mm -hmm. strength lies. So there's this latent period between giving a great first impression and actually really kicking in and feeling comfortable enough in my own skin with other people right. to kind of just be myself, say what I think, mm. it, it, with, with, with love and affection. Okay. There's a middle period where I'm still trying to figure out my best self with that team or individual. Okay. Yep. I would say that you know, I'd love to get this transcript because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like revealing a lot about sort of, you know, or this forcing me to think really mm -hmm. deeply about some insights I've had in the past that I've never really shared or expressed with other people. And you're articulating them really deeply, right, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm picking that up. Right. Yeah. No, because I've been thinking about them a long time, but I've never actually said them. But, yeah. but the questions are, are triggering the ability to say these things. Great first impression usually, always come across well, latent period, I'm terrible on follow-ups, uh, you know, I'm terrible on thank you notes, I'm terrible on all that kind of crap, and I say crap, you know, I know it's important, I feel that a lot of it's just empty kind of, you know. Um, unless you do it with a genuine heart. Unless you do it with a genuine heart, yes, yeah, yeah. Maybe for me, it's it. There's a laziness factor. I'm like, okay, I've cho I've nailed it. I've made a great first impression. It, you know, the ball's in their court. I don't have to worry about it for a while. So, you know, I have okay. all sorts of flaws. Yeah. All sorts of flaws. So the middle period is like, yeah, you know, still figuring things <laughs> out. Uh, you know, they probably think they like me. Um, you know, I need to warm up to them. I don't know what it is. I'm not comfortable in my own skin yet. And then longer term, over the long period, always. Lifelong friends, lifelong mm. companions, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. How and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? Um, I think it had to do with there a, a moment in my life where I thought there were a couple of moments, a couple of let's say you know your your life is a series of of, of decisions and and like if you make a decision to go right or left. If you choose that right-hand path, 
then all of a sudden all these other paths Path start opening yeah. up to you yeah. that you're like, you find yourself way out here saying, how did I get in here? Oh my God. So a lot of it, it, it has to do with that. It's not one single moment or one single thing, but if I, could, if I can go back to a couple of um, really critical moments. Mm -hmm. One was um, university, I went to UBC, grew up in a comfortable house. Dad was a su successful businessman. Uh, always, you know, mom was successful as well. She was a teacher and then worked for my dad. And, you know, we always had everything we needed. We weren't, we weren't like super wealthy. We weren't wealthy. We were comfortable middle class yeah. existence. Very comfortable. And I thought, okay, my dad has a successful business. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to learn how to learn. Fantastic. And then I'm going to go back to Montreal and I'm going to go into his business. I'm going to continue on where, where he was. I liked what he was doing, his fashion. Got to go to New York all the time, you know, on, on buying trips with my dad. I was the guy who was bringing the samples into yeah. Macy's and Bloomingdale's and stuff and driving the truck down from Pretty Montreal. Yeah, it was a good life. 17, I was doing this. So work ethic was built in quite early on and the importance of family and business and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so at one point, my dad called me up. He said, this was third year of university, I think. Okay. I, I had coasted. I was coasting. I was just enjoying myself, you know. Uh, I left your mother and I'm selling a business. So all of a sudden, I went from this like long, slow, mm. comfortable ride to your entire world, the world that was built up for you and around you, is now over. Yes. You're on, good luck. Yeah. You know. So a couple of things happened at that moment. One was I realized instantly that the whole safety net that was built up, family, job, career, business, money, was gone. Mm -hmm. Instantly. But I also, you know, I, I went to visit my dad and my mom afterwards, and I saw them as, as adult human beings rather than as mom and dad. Yeah. And I connected with them at a whole different level, which was really nice for me. Yeah. Like I, just my whole relationship with both of them changed instantly because they, I saw each one of them as the, the, their, their true selves, yes. unhindered by the other. Yeah, as I, um, it almost sounds like you saw them as individuals instead of a package deal. Yeah, yeah. they were unhindered by the other, yeah, yeah. And they were individuals, which was really nice. But my, my whole world kind of crumbled, like instantly. Yeah. Because I no longer had this very safe kind of environment to go back to, where it was comfortable life, car, a nice house, nice vacations, all this yeah. kind of stuff. I was completely on my own, not knowing what, what, I, what my future was. Yeah. It was now, you know, open, which was really, at first, it was disorienting, mm -hmm. and then it was very liberating. Yes. I felt, oh, that means I don't have to go back to Montreal. Okay, where am I going to go? Oh, I'll go to Japan. What the hell? I yeah. mean, yeah. I have nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, the economy here isn't so great. I'm probably not going to get hired. I'm just going to go out there and find a job in Japan, of all places. So I did. I went to Japan, and of course, as I said, these tiny little decisions... Just every feedback loop was like, that was great, you know, yeah. got to do more of that kind of stuff. Next thing, next thing, you know, and it was continuously like this. I just got these, every time I made that choice to kind of like go out there, put myself out there, the feedback loop was positive. So it's not like I went and purposely found these things all the time. Somehow they found me and I, yeah. I made the decision to take that direction. Yeah. That just continued. 
So that was the first real big inflection point, was you're on your own. Then the next one was, um, I had my first career at Ikea, the, the one in Richmond, mm -hmm. my very first one in uh, North America. Right. Then started to grow with them, or you know, move around the country and open up Ikeas around the country. And, th and th that created the next level of cushiness. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who was then retired and who was spending all his money very unwisely, basically said to me, let's do a trip. Let's, let's recreate your grandfather's trip around the world. We'll, we'll, we'll buy a truck. We'll customize it. We'll drive wow. around the world. Yeah. He didn't, have, he, had, he didn't really have enough money to do it. I didn't have money, enough money to do it. We're just going to throw ourselves out there. Wing it. Wing it. And then he, he sort of called me. So I quit my job at Ikea. I said, okay, this is it. This is the bonding trip of the lifetime with Dad and recreating our grandfather's Guinness Book of World Records uh, 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 accomplishment, which, which, which is true. He's in the Guinness Book. Wow. So, um, so then he, he called me up a couple months later and said, no, I can't do it. You know, doctor said my, back, my lower back is not strong enough to drive for years at a time. You're on your own. All right, fair enough. Um, uh, is there a truck? No, no truck. All right, um, d d you know, how are we doing this for money? He said, well, sorry, there's no money. I'm like, oh, okay. So I just left my job preparing for this trip, you know, on my own now, again. Yeah. Dad again. <laughs> again, like, he's the one in many ways who, in, 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 in one sort of sense, let me down. On the other sense, it's him that... It's the, oh, reason yeah, I, yeah. it's the reason I'm a maverick and I'm here today. Yeah, he's the instigator. So I was already preparing and, and uh, kept, kept preparing, not knowing how I was going to do this. And I was at Mountain Equipment Co-op buying a backpack. And then I saw this sign at Mountain Equipment Co-op. It said, driving to Belize. Need co-drivers. Call me. So I called the guy. Met him at Starbucks three days later. So yeah, I'm driving to Belize in a month from now. You interested in sharing the ride and sharing the gas? There I went. <laughs> Off for a year backpacking with no idea. Had a little bit of money, a lot of luck. Backpacked for a year all the way to Peru and back over land. And um, again, that changed my life again. That yeah. was like, wow, I could just throw myself out into this great big world and it's going to take care of me? Mm. That's amazing. So then I came back with no job, no money, no idea, other than I know I want to be a creative, and I know I want to do what was emerging as internet stuff. So I went back to school, I took on a massive amount of student debt, went back to school, studied uh, interaction design for computers, for computers, and in the school, I had, I had nothing to lose, right? I was just like, all right, guys. You're going to help me create the most amazing prototype for IKEA. Mm -hmm. I need a designer. I need a project manager. I need a developer. I need um, uh, a business person. Here's the brief. Let's go. So I got a team together. We started working on it. Lo and behold, through in during the school, I created this thing with this group of people, and and the 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 outcome was not so much the thing, which was good, which I was very proud of, but it was the team. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, all right. Again, nothing to lose. We've got huge student debt. There's no jobs out there for people like us. Let's create a company. Yes. This is going to be what businesses need. We're going to, we'll call it Blast Radius. We'll start. If we succeed, it's kind of like what you're doing now. If we succeed, then we've got a business. 
if we fail, then we've got all the skills and all the experience that we can then sell on to all of the companies who will one day enter this space. So everyone said, all right, well, you know, the people work with me on this project. I said, okay, let's do it. So we started the company in my apartment in Kitsilano and grew it to 500 people, offices all over the world, sold it to Sir Martin Sorrell, WPP. And, um, yeah, so that, that was sort of the steps, the inflection points mm -hmm. of just being completely tossed out into the world, not knowing what was up and what was down, mm -hmm. and actually feeling fine with that. Yeah. Feeling okay with the huge uncertainty that I was stepping into. And that's one of the key traits with Mavericks. They're yeah. quite comfortable with the uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. you got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Is being a Maverick related to creativity? And if so, how? I don't think it has to be. I think it, it, it makes it a lot easier. Okay. But I don't think it has to be. But it also, I mean, it, it, it sort of points at the bigger question of, like, what is creativity? Everyone, in, in my books, everyone is creative. Yeah. Everyone has the potential to be a creative genius. I mean, I, I like what, what Sir Ken Robinson talks about. Yeah, right? I'm trying to get him as well. Of course, yeah. I like what he talks about very much in terms of the element and, and, and uh, everyone's creative. So I, I think everyone is. So it's to me, it's not a question of do you need creativity to be a maverick. It's more a, cre a question of like what kind of creativity are you tapping into mm. um, uh, to be a maverick. Yeah. Like some people are tapping more into maybe a like a real love of structure and numbers, mm. and 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 they're being a maverick because they understand that world now. The world of creativity wouldn't necessarily recognize that as as creative if you're like deep into structure yeah. and hierarchy. So it's but if you know the structure really well and then you can start seeing different sure. ways of it, then that is then that's creative. creative. Yeah. 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 Okay. Is being a maverick related to innovation in any way? Um, so, obviously this starts to get into the subtle nuances between creativity and innovation. Yeah. Creativity to me is the, the, the materials and the mindset and the processes and the methodologies maybe you take, and innovation is perhaps more of the outcome. Okay. Yeah, um, directly related. Um, directly related I think you don't have to be a maverick to um, innovate mm -hmm. to reach an outcome of innovation you don't have to be but it makes it a lot easier I think the path is shortened yes to get to in to get to some kind of an innovation outcome okay. because the insights that the maverick is bringing are Tend, tend to be insights that are very original yeah. and um, are very self-evident once they're articulated. Okay. So other people instantly get it. And yeah. that, be, that becomes the sort of raw material for reaching the innovation. Okay. Whereas now you could, not, you could not be a maverick. I have a great example of a guy who ran the, the innovation process at Philips. Yeah. Not a maverick in any sense of the word. Right. However, 
begets incredible results because he's able to guide people through a series of creative exercises right. that lead to innovation. Okay. He's not a maverick. He he's doesn't have to be. married with kids, has a mortgage, scared. F fear drives most of his, mm. his, his uh, uh, work life, yet he's able to get results and he's able to get great breakthrough innovation results because he's very good at, t at, at leading people through a tool set. Yes, a bit like Ideo. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a bit like Ideo. I think Ideo, yeah, I think Ideo probably is, is very good at guiding people through a tool set to reach innovation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, mavericks tend to be learners. What are you a student of? I look up to I I look up to people who like learn from situations and, and, and who reflect and who kind of move on and who use everything as a platform to kind of continue developing and stuff. Uh, I love that. I I'm very inspired by that. And the reason I'm very inspired by that is because I'm not that. <laughs> I'm I'm terrible at learning. I'm terrible at I'm good at teaching perhaps, but I'm really bad at learning. Okay. Um, I probably make the same mistakes over and over again. Mm -hmm. I, pr I, I'm deeply flawed when it comes to, um, taking note of things and writing them down and internalizing them. Um, I'm almost like a short memory savant who wakes up every day and thinks that it's a completely new day, mm. that, that, there hasn't, that there hasn't been a day ever like this before, mm. and there's nothing happened in the past, and things, and things are only going to happen in the future. Okay. I, I have this, this, uh, I have this uh, saying, uh, this expression, that's the opposite of what it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. and that, that it's those who learn from history tend to repeat it. Right. So basically the Nazis actually used history mm -hmm. to create a mythology of the Aryan um, yes. people. And when we look back at that period, we tend to say those who forget history tend to repeat it. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at the lessons of the Nazis and their, their rise, they actually actually remembered history yeah, and, and then used it in a terrible way. I think that, that the vast majority of the world's problems today are actually about remembering history and using it to very nefarious ends versus um, uh, being untethered or being um, unencumbered by history okay. and thinking forward rather than thinking back. Okay. Um, so I tend to treat every day as an opportunity to think forward, which, which kind of re reflects back on Why how I learn, yeah. which, which is I, I'm terrible. <laughs> it's just something you've just not mastered the art of yet. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah I, maybe it's a laziness, or maybe it's selective. Like, yeah. you, you know, I'm selecting, I'm picking things. Or maybe it's that I, I do, I am learning everything, but I haven't really reflected back on, on yeah. whether I am or not. I'm yeah. sure I am. I mean, for me, it's I, I think it's more like just gaining experience over time and um, all of that becoming the the all of that becoming uh, the filters through which I see the world and I, I make decisions and I think forward that's learning yeah and you've done it all the way through this interview right right yeah you've been sure. saying let me give you an example this is what yeah. happened did, did, did. yeah so sure. you do you do do it yeah but maybe not as um, I, I wouldn't frame it as learning it's it, but it yeah, is it is, it learning, is learning. But I wouldn't frame it as learning yeah, yeah. Do you draw on other mavericks in any way? Like you, you, you know, like you. While you've been talking, you've mentioned people who you think are mavericks, like Victor Chang, the guy who opened that shoe shop you said in Amsterdam. Um, so you know these different people. Do you draw on other mavericks in any way? I do. I don't know how I draw on them, but I do. But okay. they're not the traditional ones that we that we tend to celebrate. Um, one of the reasons why I was kind of drawn to your project is specifically, and I've, I've seen it one other place, I've seen it, or maybe it was, maybe it was reading some of your background. I can't remember. No, it may have been, but, but it was basically that most business books follow the very same tried and true formula, mm -hmm. where they take the same business mavericks mm -hmm. or the same cases and they just continuously um, uh, deconstruct those to death and you know there's now a refreshing kind of air of new books that don't that that really ignore that yeah. whole sort of format so I don't I don't actively ignore those people or those mavericks but I don't hold them in high enough esteem to call them out by name. In other words, yeah. I can't remember a single case study of a, a single individual that I, well, I would, I would, I would say that person, right? Yeah. I, I have to say that I was at this, this big conference last week, two weeks ago, called SOCAP, the, the Social Capital Conference in San Francisco. And I met people there who I would I would define as mavericks who are really just starting out, mm -hmm. but you know their ideas are very very inspirational. Yes. One woman grew up in Detroit, kind of, you know, depressed part of the the country, depressed part of America. Um, went to industrial design school, and in school she did a project that makes these mm -hmm. coats that also turn into sleeping bags mm -hmm. for homeless. Mm -hmm. So it's like a really nice coat that you could wear during the day. Then at night you could turn it into a very warm sleeping bag wow. that you could use. And I was like, that's amazing. But that's not the idea. That's the idea. The mm -hmm. amazing thing is what she did with that. She then figured out, she had to figure out how to make it. And mm -hmm. she decided that she was going to use local, um, a local factory mm -hmm with local materials and local people. So she actually 
hired many people who were either in, in transition or homeless to come and work in her factory and learn the skills. And by learning the skills, they elevated themselves up into jobs that they could actually use. But what she did was, you know all those UN people who were helping other kids but then forgetting about their own kids, she didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, okay. Yeah. That to me is my hero. Like she's twenty five. Yeah. Those are the those are my heroes. My heroes yes. are the younger ones, who are thinking about business in a way that is not twentieth century command yeah. and control, not consumption driven, does have some kind of a sustainable business model, um, but has an incredible story, and has an amazing impact. And they that, are my heroes. Yeah, and I I can understand that. That makes sense, and I'm very, I'm trying to be very driven to make ensure people like that are included alongside the perhaps bigger names that would help get this vehicle, give it the momentum. They they should be. The, um, the thing is, if you can't include them, um, you're doing this for the wrong reason. Yeah, you mentioned the UN. I have a tiny little side story, and I think it is the Maverick Mind. That came to this insight. So we were in uh, when we were in Palestine, we were riding in Jericho, and everyone was greeting us. And this was what I was hoping for. Like just you, you come in completely exposed. You're not coming in in a tour bus or yeah, a yeah, car yeah. or in yeah. a tank. You're coming on a bike. So you are Here who I you am. are. You know, and doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Christian or any any other religious background, welcome, just welcome. Let us tell you our stories. The stories weren't of suffering, they were just like how they get by on a day-to-day -day basis and wouldn't they love more, you know, we listened more than, than, than we talked, but wouldn't they love more business and, and how can we help? It was wonderful. We passed a lot of projects on the way that were sponsored by the UN, which was wonderful. And all of them were completely empty, unused, and almost fenced off. So what you see was you see, and this again, my Maverick mind kind of read it this way. It wasn't supposed to be read this way, but it was very, very clear to me. You see this big sign and it says football field, football being European football, football field. But ahead of, you know, ahead of the, uh, the football field, it says UN football field. Now, what does a maverick mind make of the UN? Do they read it as United Nations? No. I read it as un-football field. Yes. This is not a football field. Mm. And instantly, that just created a series of um, associations. All of a sudden, all of these neurons started firing in my mind, where it was like, okay, I get it. This is the second time now. First time was in Geneva when I saw all these diplomats sort of driving in big fancy cars all over the world to the Gene to the UN Geneva comp uh, uh, compound. This is the second time that it kind of just reinforced my notion that the UN is is about the opposite of change. It's about maintaining the status quo because that all of the people who work for the UN want to maintain their positions at the UN. Exactly. But the only way to maintain your position at the UN is to make sure that all of the problems that exist around the world that need the UN continue to exist. Because otherwise they, they've got no purpose. They've got, they've got nothing. It's really funny. One of the guys I interviewed 
when there's two people with an organisation, I just say, you guys choose who you want me to interview. And I interviewed this guy who, his partner used to work for the UN and he got fed up of them saying they were going to do stuff and they didn't do it, so he went and set up on his own. Yeah. And the so, momentum they're gathering is phenomenal. Fantastic. Yeah, so I, that, that was a big insight when I was, you know, again, the, the maverick in me said, That's, that, that doesn't say UN, that says UN. Um. And then just using that as a, almost a creative platform to talk to other people and say, what can we do to change this? Yeah. You know, that's my storytelling device to talk to people. Yeah, and more to the point, what can you do to change this? It's because sometimes the answers are already in the people that are there. Yeah, exactly. What do you have to suffer and sacrifice because you're a maverick? I, I struggle with this on a daily basis. In, especially in Vancouver, less so in Amsterdam. It's so consumption-driven here and so status-driven that there are days where I feel myself being pulled in that direction right. of, man, you know, if I would have invested my money in a different way, then probably I would have that car that that guy has that has the two bikes on it that that then could take me up to the North Shore so I can go mm -hmm. mountain biking. But I decided to invest my money in a different way so I don't have that car. So I feel happy about that. I'm not judgmental mm -hmm. about the guy who has the car, but I do feel like sometimes I feel that pang of consumerism that's pulling me back in the other direction right. towards the nice fancy SUV. Yeah. And saying, you know, if I would have made that choice to kind of like take that and not do an impact investment, but just invest in some tried and true high return stuff, I could have had that car and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be working and I'd be out in the sun and, you know, enjoying the lifestyle that Vancouver has to offer. And instead, I'm kind of pounding the pavement having thousands of meetings and talking to people about how Vancouver needs to uh, embrace some of the world's biggest challenges. That's what I struggle with. I struggle with that duality. I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm missing out. But, and and I, I'm definitely sort of one of these carpe diem kind of guys who are like, all right, it's nice outside, I'm going to go out. But on some days when I am on my way to the office, on my way to the school, on my way to meetings, and I see all of these other people kind of doing the carpe diem stuff, I'm like, man, I could be doing that every day, and I decided not to. I decided to, to, to pursue this career. What am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing this? I'd rather struggle with that question Jim, and that. have that question just always hang. hanging. Yes. I love it because it's so complicated and complex and... I'm not a simple person. I'm a very complex person. I have terrible flaws. I'm jealous of people all the time. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely wasteful in terms of my consumption. I'm, I waste a lot of time. I'm lazy. I mean, I'm a complex person. I I, I don't I don't, I I think, don't have simple. I, mean, I don't think there's yet. I think all human beings are complex. They're just complex in different ways. Yeah. What motivates you as a maverick, which takes, which is kind of moving on from what you've just said? You know, what is it that doesn't make you go and get the easy, cushy job? 
what is it that makes you come to Vancouver and say, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna open this school? Well, I could have gone to Mogadishu to open the school. <laughs> I decided to come to Vancouver. So there is something cushy okay. about coming to Vancouver. Yeah, we get that. So there is, on the, on, on the pure, let's say, lifestyle return perspective, mm -hmm. I knew that for the safety and thriving of my family, yes. that this would be a good place to come. Okay. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is the tremendous comfort that the city affords mm -hmm. to its to the citizens that can afford it. Yes. And so my big questions, the, 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 the questions that, that, that I'm trying to, to frame that make other people feel both a little bit, not uncomfortable, but sort of illuminate sort of a, a much greater potential opportunity for the city is that sort of duality, the duality of what I discussed when, mm -hmm. when we talked about the last question mm -hmm. of um, being driven by an ideal and forgetting yourself and everything else and going for that, but still sort of being pulled back into the pure human existence of wanting to go out for a drink and wanting to have a steak and all and, and a barbecue and go to the beach and all that kind of stuff. I struggle with that. What was the question again? I totally the forgot. question was what motivates you as a mother? Right. What makes you jump out of bed, go running into that school and yeah. say, we're going to do this shit? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely, you know, as much as I would love to, as much as I would love to deny it, I think there's ego. So yeah. I think there's like, hey, who am I? What's my identity? How do people see me? How do they perceive me? All that kind of stuff. There's no doubt that that's a, that's a piece of it. You know, that's, what, that's a driver. Mm -hmm. No question. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is, there's, I, I, I've reached a level of comfort and stability mm -hmm. where, quite frankly, I don't have to worry that much about the mortgage yeah. or about is my family safe or not. Those, those things are all okay. So I can actually just be whoever the hell I want to be mm -hmm. without worrying that much about the implications. Okay, okay. In, in, the previous, in, in a previous iteration of my life, I was able to do that as well when I had nothing to lose and um, um, I didn't have a family, I didn't have yeah, you know, yeah. just like I could be whoever I want, I could, I could define my own persona, I could um, uh, declare who, myself uh, any way I want and, you know, be unfiltered and I can do that again now. So okay. I feel like I'm at another stage of my life where I can just be who I am. Right, gotcha. Is any part of being a maverick related to finding out who you are and what you're capable of? It's all about that. Okay. Yeah, it's all about that. Do you like being a maverick? Uh, yes, because I feel like, um, like, now I, I don't know. Maybe everyone feels this way, so I can't say. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, t I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. From my own perspective, it feels like I pulled back um, a curtain mm -hmm. that exposes the reality of a lot of things that most people are either uncomfortable, right, or unprepared, or uh, uncomfortable or unprepared to look at. Okay. 
And so when you, when you peel back that layer, then you start to see things that other people don't see. And then you also start to kind of um, uh, see opportunities where other people might not see them. You're making some parts, you're making some things, you're, you're, you're making the invisible visible. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that, you're making the impossible possible. But that's not the first time somebody's used that in an interview. Oh, yeah? Because that's what mavericks do. Somebody right. said, mavericks make the impossible possible. Yeah. End of. Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, now you've nearly finished this interview, how maverick are you? You know what they do. You've given me hundreds of definitions throughout. How maverick are you? Yeah, I mean, I like to be the young maverick, maverick. <laughs> so I, I well, that's your, like, that's your that's your new nickname. I kind of like that. I kind of like that distinction because it because I think the best way to describe this this question is with a statement, and it's not a new statement. And, and maybe even some mavericks have said this, but it's very very simple. And it was originally, I think, it was Groucho Marx. Okay. And then it was Woody Allen. I would never belong to a club that would have me as a member. Okay. So I can't answer between one to that's ten. Fine. I can only answer with that statement. Well, that's fine because one of the challenges that I've had with doing this project is Mavericks don't fit into a box. And where the hell did I think I was going to get a set of questions where they're all going to give me uniform answers? Right. That's been the biggest flip load sure. for me. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give to someone, Lee, who feels they're a maverick so that they can be the best possible maverick they could be? Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. That's one. Um... If, you're, if you know what you're doing and you're really good at it and you've mastered something in life that um, sets the stage for you to be a maverick, then take the biggest chances you could possibly take because you're never going to find yourself on the street begging for money. No. You're always going to find your footing. You're always going to find something to do. You, you are an enterprising person mm -hmm. who thinks differently. You never have to worry about that. So because you don't have to worry about that, you can take the biggest risks and chances in the world. And, 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 and if you do decide to basically throw it all out there and, and fail as big and epically as you could possibly fail, then, in my, then you're a maverick in my books. Fair enough. That is brave. That is, yeah. you know, I look up to that. I fail as big as you possibly can. If you're going to do it, do it big ass. Yeah. How do you promote and serve other people to be mavericks? Like one of the things is with the school, the, exam the example you were saying about, not so much about you being a maverick, but making sure people are... Yeah. I don't, actually, as I said at the very beginning, I, I don't, for me, it's, uh, I don't care that much about my own Yeah, thing. I get that. Um, I, that... 
to me the the driver is other people. So so how how is it you do that? You um, mentoring mm -hmm. is one. So there's some clear cut. You know, having coffees with people, sitting and having coffees with them, not meetings, not uh, beer, even just coffees with great people um, during the course of their evolution to become big breakthrough thinkers. Um, education in a very non-traditional sense, so learning by doing, experiential learning, that's what think is all about. Um, and then when we say learning, we are really talking about a lifelong skill set that you're, you never master. Mm -hmm. You're always in the process of mastering, but you never master it. Yeah. Um, like golf, like like um, you know, like a lot of other things, you you could never quite get there, but you're always yeah stretching, right? Mm -hmm. You're always stretching. So that's the other thing. And then you know, um, I would say something very, 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 very specific, which which I, I want to challenge all the Mavericks to do, and it's called the grasshopper. The grasshopper, when you look at the, 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 the animal, the, the, the insect, what you see when you look at it is you see two things at the exact same time. You see an animal that is completely 100% at rest and relaxed. But at the exact same time, you see an animal that is so unbelievably primed and ready to move so quickly and instantly Getting yourself into both that body position is, is really not easy. But if you can train your body and mind to be in that position at all times, then you will at least have some disciplined way of putting yourself into that mindset to, to think like a maverick. Mm -hmm. You are totally flexed. Every muscle in your body is completely tight and relaxed at the same time. Yeah. Your mind, when, when you do that with your body, your mind has to kind of figure out how all of your body parts are going to get into that position. Your mind starts to figure it out. Your mind starts to figure out how to do that. And your mind starts getting that way as well. You're both completely relaxed and you're completely ready for like any situation. That's one very, very specific exercise that every budding maverick could do. You know what you just described to me? That's Aikido. Yeah, it could be Aikido. That's what Aikido is. Yeah? Mind and body. Right. In complete unison. Right. That's, then that's Aikido. I mean, Tai Chi is similar, and, and we do a lot of that, I think. Like, yeah. we do, every morning we do these types of, maybe it's Aikido, maybe it's Tai Chi, we do this, these types of exercises. So. Okay. How do you serve yourself? Like you, ha you just told me how you serve other people to be a maverick. Yeah. But how do you serve yourself to be a maverick? Be a maverick. Um, I, I make sure that, you know, to me, the creative process of coming up with ideas, which to me then reflects back on, you know, whether you're a maverick or not. Okay. The creative process is an ebb and flow of um, deep immersion in something, right? I'm, I'm deeply immersed in a problem, in a challenge. 
we talked about this earlier, mm -hmm. but I'll re reiterate it because it's important in my life as well. Deep, deep immersion in the challenge in, in, in a moment, whatever, presence. Then some reflection on that. And then some space for yourself to um, disengage, yeah. completely disengage. Yeah. We call it, there's think, and then there's unthink. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we need to kind of draw a distinction between those two um, states, those two mental states that we're in, I yeah. think. There's the ebb and flow. The flow is when you're really in it, you're so engaged, you lose track of time. You're doing, you're 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 doing, and you're being, and you're making all in one big happy explosion mm -hmm. of energy. Wonderful. I like the opposite too, and I don't mean the opposite. No, being, no, I'm not. Being being very disengaged and being totally not necessarily in the moment of creation and in the flow, but actually emptying all that and, and being very distant from having to do any of that stuff. To be quite honest, if I didn't have my, un, what you call unthink times, I would never have my yeah. think times. Yeah. Like I go to innovation labs and it's got to the stage where they, any challenge they put on the table, they can't believe how fast I will start banging out ideas yeah. and seeing things that people just don't see. Exactly. But it, it's because when I'm in my unthink time, I've kind of given myself space so that when I'm in my think time, it all starts connecting. Yeah. So, um, so that's it. So it's, it's really, I, I, I don't have a discipline to do this. Okay. It's simply knowing instinctively when I need some space mm -hmm. and then taking it. Cool without having to give any excuses to anyone, just taking that space. Yeah. And why should you? Because you're going to be most productive if you do Yeah, people that know that. Yeah. If you could have a superhero power, what would it be? Time travel. Okay. As a maverick, what do you do for fun? I know you like bicycling. The reason I like bicycling is related directly to being a maverick. So when you normally move through a city, mm -hmm. you are either you are either um, prevented from moving freely through the city by either speed or um, location or destination or um, the physical object that's moving you. So if it's a car. You can only park in certain places, you can only take certain roads, and you're subject to the laws of traffic. Mm -hmm. If it's a bus or a metro, then again, you're subject to the laws of where those things go. You don't have much control over where they go. If you're a walker, then you can certainly get anywhere, but the amount of time it takes doesn't actually free you up from doing other things. You actually have to like manage your time mm -hmm. much more effectively from getting from here all the way to Gastown or yeah. whatever. The bike is the most free mode of transport there is. Okay. And it's that freedom from constraints. The constraints of the city, the constraints yeah, yeah, of the built yeah. environment, the constraints of traffic, all that kind of stuff, that connects what I do to being a maverick. Okay. What would be the one quote that would define you as a maverick?
have two. So okay. <laughs> you're a maverick. You're never going to follow yeah. the rules. One is is one of my heroes, actually. I think she's a maverick. I didn't talk to. I didn't talk about her before. I don't know that much about her, but I've lived by this maxim for many, many years since discovering her. It's Maya Angelou. I knew you were going to say. Sue, so yeah. before you opened your mouth, wow. I thought he's going to say it. He's gonna, sorry. I'm really That's intuitive. Amazing. I'm yeah. not sorry. That's just the way I am. Yeah, amazing. So. Um, I just spent three hours with you. If I don't know something about yeah, you, yeah, you got it. You, I'm, yeah. I'm crap at what I do. Right. Go. On, so no, I mean, you know, she has one very, very famous and maybe overused quote that I love, and that's you know, people will forget what you say, people will forget what you do, people will remember how you made them feel. Exactly. So that's one. Right. I love that one, um, and I try. I don't often use it or take it out but I try to keep that in the back of my mind when I'm meeting people I, I don't I don't have it as a driver it's not a driver for me to behave a certain way but when I reflect back on what that means I, I realize that's the kind of path I'm on mm -hmm. like in terms of how I interact with people and I don't always get it right either like sometimes I fail miserably I'm like oh, I wasn't my best self in that situation they probably didn't feel that great about me you know I know I'm just, you know I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. trying I'm trying so I'm trying to I'm on that journey mm -hmm. right um, and then yeah I mean I wouldn't say that I live by this but I would definitely maybe I do I probably do enjoy life very very simple um if you're a maverick and you've gotten yourself into the situation of being a pioneer and people love you and you're on the right track and everyone's telling you you're doing the right thing and wow, you're getting all the credibility and um, uh, assurance that this is absolutely your path. Uh, it's good to ask yourself whether this thing that you're doing, this path you're on this journey, is actually making you happy. Because you could be a maverick, and people could sort of, re, you know, reassure and 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 um, mm. authenticate that, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. No, I had a, so, somebody visit. Somebody came round last week who was in exactly that situation. Yeah, and I think that actually, the reason I couldn't call myself a maverick sometimes, is because. I think one of the things that creates the conditions for someone becoming a maverick is that they're kind of, they look at the world and they're kind of like unhappy with how things are. Mm -hmm. And so they find ways of changing and improving them, which I think is wonderful and absolutely essential. But that lens of being sort of unhappy and unsatisfied with everything that ultimately is the ingredient for you to become a maverick mm -hmm. um, uh, isn't always a great lens to wear continuously. Okay. So I like to take a step back yeah. and I like to look at the mountains and say, life's pretty damn good the way it is. It is. I love it. I love what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I love meeting with people like you. I love just being alive and do I need to fix all of the world's problems? And do I need to uh, 
uh, be a maverick? And, and my, the clear answer that I have to myself is absolutely not. Like, those things are side effects mm. of my enjoyment of life. They're not the driver at all. And that's why I'm an unmaverick maverick. Completely concur with you. So, final question. What would you like to have been asked that I haven't asked you, if anything? I think one would be, as a kind of a trick question, would you be happy with yourself if you weren't a maverick? Mm -hmm. You kind of do, I think you do ask that maybe three quarters of the way through in a, in, a, in a different way, but I think just a direct question like that would be interesting. Um... I think it would be interesting to, okay, this isn't, this is going, this is going outside of the framework of yeah. the interview, but I think it would be interesting to interview people who are definitely not mavericks mm -hmm. and not, and not ask them the same questions, but maybe, maybe weave in some, some of the same questions just to see mm. where you can find, you know, almost using a control group. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I'm not a researcher. Yeah. You seem to have more of that instilled in you but maybe there's almost a control group methodology to bring into this where you 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 interview people who are like clearly living within the system very happy about it don't want to change anything everything's rosy and good thank you very much right gotcha okay yeah so. thank you very much for letting me interview you i have to tell you that you officially are the, the longest, longest interview